0: The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.
1: Hello there, I'm Dr. Haki Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And I'm so excited today because we're going all the way around the world. We're going all the way to Japan with Dr. Spencer Robinson and it's not every day I get to talk to somebody who invented a whole new science. Really, that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to we're going to talk about how the Center for Applied Neuroscience, what it's all about, how this great man looks through the prism The same way differentbrains.org does, although we're not as great as him, but every brain is different. No two are alike. They're like snowflakes. Spencer, thanks for being with us.
0: Thank you very much for having me. I don't know if I can follow such a great introduction though.
1: Well I want you first of all to straighten our audience out on the correct name of your organization and what the correct name of the science is and introduce yourself properly, which I did not do. All
0: right. (laughs) My organization is the Center for Applied Social Neuroscience. Um, C-A-S-N is the abbreviation. Um, And the field that I'm working in, I would call myself a neuropsychologist. And um, it's very similar to a neuroscientist, except that my basic focus rather than the brain is the mind. And that's one big problem because a lot of people working in this field don't recognize that there is a very, very great distinction between the brain and the mind. And I'm much more interested in the mind than I am in the brain simply because we can only understand brain functions to a certain level, but translating them actually into the antecedents of human behavior becomes very, very difficult to do. So I'm rather more focusing on the mind and what the mind is. But of course, I have to have a background in understanding the brain and the functions of the brain before I can understand the mind. But again, my focus is the mind because I'm really interested in in what we are as humans, um, what the mind is and how we can affect the mind positively. Um, and how we can counteract behavioral problems through uh, affecting the mind. So that is that is my emphasis and why I'm a little bit different from a so-called regular neuroscientist.
1: You are at the intersection of the mind and the brain and it comes at a time when we finally have some technology available that lets you take a peek in. Am I right about that? And what are some of the basic science, neuroscience, clinical applications you're applying at that intersection?
0: Well, what you've asked is a very, really complex question. Um, There is a tremendous amount of controversy. Uh, The advent of new technologies for imaging, brain imaging, is fantastic and offers a window into the, how the brain works uh, that was never available before. And those technologies are improving uh, on a, almost on a day-by-day basis. However, the problem is that a lot of neuroscientists make these huge jumps about looking at the imaging of the brain and various aspects of that imaging and then interpolating that in terms of actual behavior Or thought processes or the mind which we cannot see and we cannot really make a strong credible connection with. And that is my problem. So a lot of these imaging studies, especially FMRI, which is Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging, try to make all kinds of claims that they can see uh, different moods, or they can test where somebody's thinking this or that, and different parts of the brains are replying, and therefore the different parts of the brains are responsible for different types of cognitive functions. And I'm sorry, but that just isn't true. It really isn't true. I don't want to go into a technical discussion right now, but, but we really, we can see certain things, but the interpolation of those things Um, can only go so far, and we really still cannot jump that huge gap between, again, brain and mind.
1: What you just said is important, so what I would like to do, if you can, give us some of the more common examples where you think that a correlation has been made that perhaps has not really been proven, but we made the jump, if you can think of any offhand.
0: Well, okay, just give an example, there are many of them, but uh, just to give an example, uh, a lot of FMR studies claim that uh, if a certain area of the brain lights up in an FMR study, it means it's active, therefore that must be the brain where what you are seeing as behavior must be centered in that particular part of the brain that's lighting up as you're watching the behavior that you're seeing. However, behavior is an incredibly complex phenomenon. And even if you're doing a math problem and the people are and somebody is scanning your brain and seeing what's lighting up while you're doing the math problem, it doesn't mean that you're only thinking about the math problem. You're thinking about everything that ever happened in your life up to that time. Why are you sitting in this FMR machine doing this math problem? Who are you? What are you doing there? What are you getting out of it? Um, What did you have for breakfast this morning? What about your date that's going to coming up at at 8.30 tonight with this real hottie that you saw on the beach last week? Um, All these things are going through. And by the way, my shoulder is hurting in this bloody machine. Um, I want to twist and I want to turn, I can't stand the stakes. All these things are going on and those are electrical impulses shooting out in your neurons from one neuron to another making these connections and they're all going like this. So what does it mean that when one area is highlighted, what about all the other areas and all the other thoughts that you're having at the same time, and we do. So making these interpolations of what we see as we think is behavior and areas of the brain that are responsible for their behavior, I don't think are credible.
1: Then let's jump into, explain to our audience what, in your view, is cognitive neuroeducation that you are promoting?
0: Okay, unfortunately that's also not an easy thing to explain, but let let me try to, see if I can simplify this.
1: Um, I see you can tell you're dealing with an orthopedic surgeon. You've got to dummy things down for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Let me tell you what it's not. Maybe that's the easiest way to do it. As you know, um, there are many, many, many so-called interventions that are being passed off as ways of uh, remediating uh, behavioral problems or cognitive uh, dissonance. Uh, for instance, uh, schizophrenia, schizophrenia patients may have this type of treatment or that type of treatment or that type of treatment. Some of it may be pharm- pharmacological, some of it may be a psychotherapy. but. None of these have any real theoretical foundation to them. They just go out there, let's see if we kick the engine a little bit, if it will start, that sort of thing. And Most of it is based on what we call the medical model. Now, I have no problem with medicine. I mean, I wouldn't be alive today without the the medical industry, because I have a few problems myself, Um, so I have no problem with medicine per se. I do have a problem with how some, sometimes the medicine is actually practiced today. So we, be, we, base, we not only do we base organic pathology, which is diseases, on the medical model, but unfortunately, we are also basing behavioral difficulties on the medical model, which means that we are pathologizing behavior. We are saying that behavior is some kind of disease, mental illness. Now, I don't believe there's such thing as mental illness. I believe that all behavior is a reaction to certain kind of situation. Now, even in disease, when we have an invasive organism that invades our body, our body reacts to it as a defense mechanism to surround it, isolate it, and kill it. And in that process, we have infections and the, and, and, and the, the uh, response to the infection is to surround and isolate it, uh, and, and the process includes um, inflammation, fever, pain, all these things, but these are natural behavioral reactions of our immune system to fight this invasion. So a lot of our behavioral reactions are also built in natural reactions to confront a difficult situation, a difficult environment, pressures that we are not able to deal with because they overwhelm us. Um, so it, rather than pathologizing um, behaviors that are natural, that have, that have been built into us as defense mechanisms to help us keep our core uh, personality intact, Without completely crushing us, um, I think it's much better to understand what are the mechanisms of particular behavior? What are the core behavioral patterns that we have? How have we evolved as human beings that create unique behavioral patterns from us that differentiate us from other animals? And if we can understand those core behavioral Uh, tendencies, then what are the neurophysiological correlates of those behavioral tendencies? If we can understand that, then we can understand how to counteract these um, so-called maladaptive behaviors that we are using to try to overcome the pressures that society or environment is being placed on us, so that's what C and E is all about. So C and E, like unlike any other cognitive neuroeducation, which I call C and E, it's unlike any other type of therapeutic. In fact, it's not. I won't even call it a therapy because I don't believe there is an illness. All it is is a saying. We are reacting to a situation. So, the situation is what has to be attended to first. And then the behavioral pattern that we have used to react to this bad situation can be reversed by normal, natural stimulation that promotes positive behavior. That's what I'm saying. That's what CNE is all about.
1: What you're saying reminds me a bit of um, someone we interviewed here, Jim Sporleder who's Jim Sporleader? He's a principal out in Washington State running schools and he was the law and order principal. So what they did was they identified the worst high school out there for behavior and they brought in Jim Sporleader to straighten it out. And inside of two years with his discipline and law and order approach, it was 10 times worse than it was before. It was horrible. And so Jim stopped for a minute, and he, uh, he called in one of his students, who's a particularly bad actor, and, and said, uh, are you having a bad day? And the kid said, yes, yeah, a matter of fact, I am. What's going on? Well. My father got out of jail last night and came home and killed my mother. Oh, that'll that'll put a crimp in your day. That's an <laughs> environmental change. So he began the trauma-informed approach, which he lectures on across across the country. And uh, and uh, there's been a documentary made about him, about Paper Tigers. Um, and this sounds like one example of doing what you're saying, which is to recognize the environment, analyze the situation, and then make a rational approach. Is that consistent with what you're saying?
0: Yes, but yes, it is. But we, the thing about it's the reason that my center is called the Center for Applied Social Neuroscience. Is because I recognize the importance of understanding that we have a social brain. We are inherently social species, and all learning takes place in a social context. Now, that may sound like an over, uh, pretty far-out expression, but if you think about it, it's true. Um, we learn in a social context, even if we're reading a novel. We think about the social situation. What would I do in that place? What is this character doing? What are the social situations that are driving him to do what he's doing? We become involved in that person's life and that person's life is in a social situation because we live in a society. So everything takes place in a social situation, learning thus too. All behavior is an outcome of learning. Everything is learning. The whole idea of socialization Is learning how to behave in a society so we to allow us to learn more adaptable behaviors we do it in a social environment so one of the main areas or the main emphasis of C&E is the group dynamic that is a very important concept the group dynamic Um, and the idea of neuroplasticity, our perception, all these things come into play and understanding and retraining the brain to overcome this habitual reactive behavior into analyzing the situation and to think about how the other person is gonna to react to us. We're beating up on them when they didn't do anything except to have Problems with their stomach or whatever that 's causing these sounds that are irritating somebody, so we have to always put ourselves in the other person 's position, which is perspective taking, which is another big part of c and e so we train ourselves to do that. we train ourselves to be sensitive not only to ourselves but to others as well
1: very well said, very well said and very enlightening, and certainly uh, strong social relationships are being identified as one of the most important things for your longevity and your overall health, whether you're talking about your brain or your heart or cancer or anything.
0: Absolutely. Well, there is a correlation or there's an absolute connection between the brain and the heart and everything. We, We are... We, we we have this idea that the brain and, and the mind and the heart and all these are completely different things, but they're not. One affects the other, which affects the other. The human body is a system, and anything goes wrong in that system, the system starts to break down in different places.
1: Well, then, and that leads into the gut-brain, the whole gut-brain interface with the microbiome and the flora in your gut affecting how your brain gets wired with neuroplasticity too.
0: Well, it affects everything, certainly. I mean, uh, uh, for instance, kidney disease can cause dementia. I mean, so we, we, there, the, the body is related. If the body is unhealthy, then other parts of the body that are also gonna become unhealthy, which can lead to, again, to behavioral disturbances.
1: Spencer what is the biggest roadblock to the work you do
0: Oh god uh, <laughs> the academic community and the medical community
1: Elaborate
0: They don't want anything that helps without pharmaceutical drugs big pharma runs everything big pharma controls everything big pharma sponsors all the research and funds all the research and they don't want something that cures things without taking a lot of drugs. And the medical industry kowtows to that and they bully everybody else. I shouldn't say that out loud and, and shouldn't say that so directly, but if you wanted to know the truth? Honestly, that's what I think is the truth. That that, that to me is my biggest stumbling block.
1: How do people find out more? Like what if someone wants to come and meet you or come and have a good time over there or how do people get in touch with you?
0: Well, um my email. <laughs> um I have a website. Uh should I read it out? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Read your website, your email, anything you want to share with our audience and And Joseph and Ruben will probably put up graphics below, but why don't you go ahead and say them.
0: Okay, CASN, Center for Applied Social Neuroscience. The website is http colon slash slash www.brain-mind-behavior.org.
1: And they can google the name of the center which is, say that again?
0: C-A-S-N. They can just Google C-A-S-N. It'll eventually come up, but it's probably easier, qu- qu- quicker to write in the URL, type URL.
1: And would you, li- would you like to share your email?
0: My email is casn at brain-mind-behavior.org.
1: Uh, is there anything else you'd like to cover with us today here at Different Brains?
0: Well, I'm a researcher. I'm a scientist. I'm a researcher. I would. Uh, I'm not. I'm not um, a clinician, and I'm not a marketeer. Um, but I think that CNE is an incredibly important approach and a new understanding of how the brain, mind, and behavior connect to each other and how they work. Um, and I think it's extremely important to get the message out, because I think it can do a tremendous amount of good. Uh, I think it can treat, I hate the word treat, I think it can help people that have various uh, behavioral problems that have been uh, diagnosed as schizophrenia or dementia, that have been previously pretty much intractable with, with psychotherapy and with medication. That I believe CNE can can do a tremendous job with. Because it has a scientific background and it works.
1: Spencer, you're over there in Japan. You're kind enough to spend your valuable time with us and to enlighten our different brains audience. What is one thought you'd like to leave our audience with? We- most of
0: the problems that we have behavior can be overcome. Even with CNE, I feel that uh, there, there's very little that we cannot help with. The only time is when there is absolutely massive tissue damage. But beyond that, CNE, CNE can provide remediation to an extensive, extent, to extensive degree And in most cases, I think can provide almost full recovery, maybe full recovery. It depends on the person and the situation. Remember, most of uh, behavioral maladaptation is situation caused. And if you put the person back in the same situation that caused it, obviously they're going to get it again. So that's another thing to think about. What is your problem? Where is the stress and tension coming from? How can you avoid it? That's
1: the main thought. Spencer Robinson, thank you very, very much for being with us today here on Different Brains. Exploring Different Brains is a production welcome. of Different thank Brains. You so much Inc. For, for more, I more really, information, really do good, do it. At DifferentBrains.org.